0: Champagne Sunday show today to talk about some of the noteworthy and historic literary ladies of England. Now, Glenn is a historian. He knows all about digging up your family history, So, you, and you know you've got some good history in that closet somewhere. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But skeleton. Everybody's got good family history. Uh, but he's also the owner of Norfolk Tours in England, where he takes people around Norfolk, East Anglia, and the rest of England because why not go and tour the whole country of England um, or the whole island? Uh, He's a Big Blend expert contributor. You can read his articles in Big Blend Radio and TV Magazine and even in our upcoming spring issue of Spirit of America Magazine. So to find out more about that, just go to bigblendmagazines.com. But you can also keep up with Glenn. Glenn, go to his website, norfolk-tours.co.uk. Glenn, how's it going?
1: It's going better, now. I'm actually connected to you. Thank you very much.
0: I know i don 't know what happened at the beginning. they were like, Glenn, he's he's swimming the channel
2: <laughs> but
0: we're we 're glad you you made it. you know it 's always good to have you on the show and excited to talk about women you know we we love women because we are women, and um apparently you 've got some quite amazing, strong women um, in england 's history that wrote about life, all kinds of stories, but um, they also have incredible stories of what they've done for England and their communities.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. It just seems that uh, a lot of the women who who were big writers in the past, they, they also had quite big lives as well and, and had quite a big effect on the areas mm-hmm. they lived in or, or in the areas that they, they loved and they wrote about. It's, it's, it's quite quite funny, really. When well, funny is the wrong word, probably. It's quite amazing when you actually look into the history of these um, these particular women who uh, who we all, we've all heard of, we've all read their stories, you know. And it is quite amazing to see how influential they actually were in their own lives, you know. Quite
0: amazing. It's, it's amazing too. I know um, the last time you were on our show, uh, January eighth, um, you were talking about. England's National Parks, and everyone, if you go to nationalparktraveling.com, uh, you'll see uh, Glenn's story on the, Ameri- I mean, the English park system. I'd also be in Spirit of America magazine because we're all connected through our parks. Uh, so you can check that out at nationalparktraveling.com. And you mentioned uh, Beatrix Potter and how she was connected to the Lake District. But uh, let's yeah. kind of step back with her because she, she really did have uh, an upbringing that gave her some education.
1: Yeah, she was she was a very lucky lady. She came from from a quite an affluent family. Um, she she was educated by a governess and you know uh, looked after quite nicely. You know, so so her her upbringing was a lot different to you know like my my ancestors wouldn't have had that sort of upbringing at all. Um, but the, one of the downsides of, of that sort of really affluent life is that they didn't necessarily mix with. Lots of other children. So, although you now Beatrix Potter had a fantastic education um, for her, most of her mm. young life, her only friends were were the animals around her. You know, so you know the pets she had and, and the the wild animals around. So it, it's 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 quite sad in a way that you know she didn't necessarily grow up running around the fields with all her friends, but mm. she did grow up running around the fields. You know getting to know the rabbits and the sheep and the, and the goats and the, the geese and, you know, things like that. And that's what she wrote about because that's what, that's what she knew. You know, she gave all of these animals personalities. And, mm. you know, when we actually read Beatrix Potter's books, you know, we, we all, well, I, I say we all, I hope we do, you know, we, we get to know Peter Rabbit and Jemima Puddle Duck, you know, and Mrs. Tiggy Winkle. You know, they're, they're, they're real people.
0: We in love Mrs. Piggy Winkle. <laughs> I
1: love Mrs. <laughs> Piggy, yeah, exactly. Yeah. But, you know, for, for for Beatrix Potter as a child, these were real people to her, in a way, because they were her friends. You know, so that's, in a way, that's, that's it's quite beautiful, and she, the way she mm-hmm. wrote about them was totally beautiful, but in a way, it's very sad that, you know, this little girl only had animals as, as friends but you know mm. the books that she left us are totally amazing I, I love I wanted, them I,
0: I would have loved to have seen her and Gerald Durrell hang out together because he had almost a similar story but he had you know I think his brothers and sisters ran around with him and they traveled a lot but I mean he also yeah. hung out with animals and look what they both did yes. I mean that would have been an interesting couple I'm just saying, if there was a different yes, cha- like doctor dude, if they both came back, you know, we could match make them,
2: oh.
0: <laughs> <laughs> put them together.
2: <laughs> I don't think she'd go well, for that,
0: but you know, well, it would be neat. You know, there are websites that like that. are not so. Yeah, well oh, oh.
2: <laughs> we could we could put her on Tinder, <laughs> dateananimal.com. Oh, hello. <laughs> yeah.
1: Oh dear, dear. oh dear.
2: <laughs> we better boy. not go there. <laughs> Well, I know
0: you also, and we'll talk about what she did too. But you know, speaking of animals, your your next yeah. author uh, is Anna Sewell, and she yes. likes to giddy up. But she she had a she had a different background bring uh, back bringing. Gee, have another sip of champagne, and I'll be just fine. Uh, but she's had an interesting <laughs> upbringing as well. <laughs> I, I really have literally had just one sip. This is what happens. Uh, but well, she that had depends like, how
2: big the sip was.
0: Yeah, well, true. you know, you haven't seen the glasses here, Glenn. They're, you know, everything in America's <laughs> big. I, I but keep
2: telling her to not use a straw. I know
0: that really hurts, but <laughs> she she was kind of isolated too, but in a different way. Anna Sewell.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, Anna was um was brought up with with a brother and you know with with family, but she had quite a bad fall when she was in her early teens, about thirteen or fourteen, and at th- that time she didn't have her, her leg set properly so for the rest of her life she was um not necessarily crippled but she wasn't able to get about very well so mm. she relied a lot on her, her pony um you know pony and trap that sort of transport that is how she got got about so again mm. Anna Sewell was from an affluent family you know her, her her family were farmers, and uh, you know her dad worked as a, as a banker. You know, and uh, they were all very, very well off. But so she was lucky that they could afford for her to have a, a horse and carriage. But obviously, for Anna Sewell, she built very strong relationships with with horses and ponies, and she had that um, empathy and that real connection with with the horses. And in fact, you know, Black Beauty itself is, is obviously the book that she wrote. Um, mm-hmm. That is actually called the autobiography of a horse. That is the subtitle mm-hmm. of Black Beauty, and it is actually written by the horse. If you read Black Beauty, it is actually written by the horse, and mm-hmm. to do that, obviously she had to have a real connection with the animal, and. You know, obviously, she she sort of grew up surrounded by by the by, by horses and relying on them totally for getting her about, and it gave that gave her her independence up to a point. But you know, and the, the
0: book is different than ladies. the movies. You know, the, the movies were the the book. Anna So's Black Beauty. I remember the book being different than what we saw on TV or in the movies. It was just a little. Oh, yeah. yeah,
2: it was. <laughs> that yeah. always happens.
0: Uh-oh. I mean,
1: books, books are are often a lot, lot deeper than mm. what a film can say. And also films are so often that they're made in such a way that they have to have, you know, the, the general stuff that everyone seems as if they have to have in films nowadays, you know. But um, actually, Black Beauty itself is a very, very interesting book. And mm. being written supposedly by the horse, it does give a really interesting viewpoint on what was going on for horses in in the middle of the nineteenth century you know but but again you see that both of these ladies had had quite quite a sad start to life in a way mm-hmm. you know they they had some some really quite um some negative things happen to them, and their love of animals and nature obviously. Allowed them to to get in a little world of their own you know and and, and be so creative in in the way that they were you know but you know it's it, it's quite um, quite amazing when you actually learn about these these ladies and and how they became what they did you know and what what they did was was quite amazing especially for for women you know i mean we 're talking mm-hmm. about women in the nineteenth century and for Beatrix potter you know a little bit later than than the Anna Sewell. but again you know for women to actually do what they were doing was was quite a quite a change to society
0: and the brontë sisters that was your other pick was charlotte emily yes. and anne brontë i mean now we're talking wuthering yes. heights and and mm. you know those stories but um yes. they died young and they had you know troubled times as well even though they were raised, you know, they went, you know, overseas to, uh, for, you know, tutorship and, and learning, you know, oh, French yeah. and, you know, things like that. But then their life was still, they still had a mess that they had to live with and, and deal with.
1: Well, you know, they, they lost their mother when, when they were right toddlers. You know, the, I think the youngest one was only one when their mum died. You know, so, so they, they had a, a very a difficult early life. Um, because mm. they you know they were brought up by their father who was a a vicar or a priest or whatever you know and um their aunt they got very mm-hmm. close to their aunt but um again they you know they went to they went to belgium to improve their their language skills and and came back um to yorkshire to look after their brother um when their aunt died you know so so again you know There was only one of them who actually got married. You know, all the the other ones, they they didn't get married because, you know, they they died quite young. You know, Um, I think one of them died 28, one died 29, and the other one died at at 39. You know, so they're very, very young. Even the brother died at 31, you know, so they were all very young people.
0: So who was, there was someone in there in the family that was going through addiction too. Who was that?
1: Uh, That was their brother Bramwell. He mm. was um, uh, an alcoholic and a drug addict. They, th- this is what the general idea is. They, you know, obviously it isn't sort of written anywhere that he was, but from from the way that he lived his life and from what they've, what the sort of the experts and the, um, the historians say that you know he was um, uh, an addict. And, mm. and again, he he died aged 31. You know, which is uh, it's heartbreaking, really. You know, all these young people
0: yeah and and, and again, you think again. about also, back in the days, men, I think it was you know, and women, it was yeah, there was a lot of women on, on in this country. I know we're going to be talking about poppy seed brownies later on the show, but Laudlin <laughs> and opium was a big deal over here, Even, yeah yeah, you know, the you know mm-hmm. people, the pioneers coming west, um, that they used it also, like Laudlin was All part of medicine, and you know, men were allowed in the saloons unless you were you know, a lady of the night. Um, you know, then you were drinking with the men and and doing things on the side, um, all kinds of things. But women, oftentimes, they would go into those little women's parlors, which were separated from the men, but they were taking their shots of wadlum And yep. they had their opium moments, but it was hush-hush. Men, it was okay to be drunk and disorderly in conduct. Was that the same in England way back when?
1: Um, I, well, I I don't really know. I haven't really sort of done much research into the, the history of addiction, but the, it does seem that, um, the, 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 especially for the men, obviously the men could do what they liked because they mm-hmm. they ruled the roost, you know. Um, women, generally speaking, the women who were in the gin palaces in England, it was mainly gin in England, um, were the sort of, the, you know, the common... The common women in the in town centres and city centres, um, and they would be in the gin palaces, but the men obviously would um, be in the pubs you know, drinking beer mainly and whiskey and stuff. But you know, generally speaking, it seems that the the richer the people were, obviously having the the the, the bigger chance to to have the the wine and the spirits, that the ordinary people were normally. Uh, beer, beer, and gin drinkers is is what mm-hmm. it was in in the countryside anyway.
2: It it seems like the women led kind of lonely lives, really. You know. Yes, I mean but,
1: the, the, it, it was such a different different style of of life altogether. You know, I mean when when you actually look at the the situation or the position of women in society. It does make a fascinating research topic, um, you know. Without without actually getting sexist today, when you actually look at it, uh, sort of black and white, you know, just actually see the fact mm-hmm. Women really didn't have any rights. It was the men. The men had all the rights. In fact, the the woman actually belonged more or less to the man. You know, he
2: mm-hmm.
1: when he when he got married, his wife's belongings became his you know and uh, it was a very rare thing for a married woman to make a will because actually a married woman didn't own anything you know it was it was, it was a very very rare situation to have a married woman make a will because like i said they didn't have anything to leave
2: and then when no they it. if they decided to for whatever reason divorce which was pretty rare um yes, the yes. man got to keep everything including the children so you well, didn't the, see
1: very the, many d- divorces. Divorce. divorce in the mm-hmm. in the nineteenth century was only really for the rich. I mean, normal yeah. people never got divorced. It was just not on. The man mm-hmm. would possibly leave the the, the wife and go and set up house with somebody else, and the woman would just have to live on her own. And that would you know either that or go into the workhouse. But divorce was was not really available. You know the the life of this, wow. this is possibly why all of the ones that we've looked at, all of the ladies, they, they all they're all 19th century women, and nine times out of ten, they were the only women who could actually read and write, write were the rich ones. You know, the mm. the people my ancestors mm-hmm. at this time couldn't even read and write, so they couldn't possibly be authors, authors or authoresses. You know, it was it was not a possibility. They didn't have the education. Wow. But you know, it, and, yeah. when you actually when you actually start to look at these things, you can see that these these three, well, you've got two ladies and then the set of three ladies, but they all come from affluent backgrounds
2: mm-hmm.
1: because, mm-hmm. you know, when, when Anna Sewell was born in 1820, you know, my ancestors wouldn't be able to read and write, even the men, you know, mm-hmm. they didn't have education. And and with the Brontes, again, you know, they they were born in the 1810s, you know, 1870 and around that time, um, again, my ancestors wouldn't be able to read and write, so they wouldn't even dream of going to Belgium to learn French because they couldn't possibly even write English, let alone learn
0: French. Why are you going yeah, to so, Belgium to learn French? Why don't you go to France?
1: Um, <laughs> well, England and France have, have had, a, you know, years and years of very bad um, relationships, so Belgium was probably easier to um, mm. to go to without any problems. And also okay. Belgium was, um, was closer because a lot of people in, in the sort of 1830s and 40s, to go to the continent, you would go across via Holland. You wouldn't mm. go from Dover to Calais because to get to Dover would take you a long while because you'd go by land. So the easiest way to mm. travel would be by sea so, therefore, you would quite likely go across from Yorkshire. You'd probably go from Hull and then mm-hmm. go off in, in either Belgium or Holland. I mean, from East Anglia, um, we would have sailed from Great Yarmouth or King's Lynn and, again, go to Holland because that was our closest European port. We didn't, okay. you know, nine times out of ten, if you're going to go to the continent, you don't go to France because that would mean you have to travel a long way over land, which was difficult you know, there's okay, lots that makes of things sense. to think about yeah, yeah you know, i mean the roads the roads were terrible so you know you didn't go across land you went via water which was a lot easier
2: and france was always having like civil wars and revolutions and changing their well, government exactly. And you know and,
1: and england and france never did get on you know it, it, yeah. there was always Problems between England and France because we're such close neighbors. You know, you can you can wave to each other across the Channel more or less. You know, you can see you can see each other's coastline.
2: What are you waving? And,
0: uh... <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. It's like it, to me. I think I think we all start. A, we need to all start waving at each other. I want to go back to being like, hey, can we can we all be nice and get along? But it's interesting, exactly. you know, these women coming having. I know, really having these, um, you know, affluent women, you know, coming from affluent homes, and it just shows the power of education. I know we were talking about that last time yep. you were on the show, about yep. the importance of education, of where you can go right. with this, and how you can break those molds of society, how these women broke molds, and, and that's what I think is very yep. exciting about this. You know, Beatrix Potter, you know, she really helped even part of, you know, the National Trust for um, the, the Lake District National Park, how, her and her husband, who worked with her, and he helped her actually get her books published. He was an yes. interesting guy too. Um, yeah, he was a legal know, man. Yeah, he he watched over everything she was doing, and she was very loyal. And um, you know, she was very loyal to her craft as well. And I think. And I know that there's a they found a manuscript of a book that she was about to have published. So a new Beatrix yes. Potter book is coming out, at, or if it hasn't come out already. Wow. which I find very yes, exciting. That is exciting. And hers, I think, some of her proceeds still go back into the national parks, Glenn. Do you know? I think some yes, of the books, yeah, uh,
2: yes,
0: yeah, to this day. That's awesome. Yeah, and it, the Lake District is beautiful. But mm. I wanna, I wanted to ask you, Glenn, when we were in England, and I and we're trying to make sure that we were in the right place. And looking at all the national parks, because now we have all of England's national parks up on nationalparktraveling.com. Yay! Yep. The Beacon, Beacon Hill. I remember on Easter going (laughs) up to Beacon Hill. All these people went. And we took Easter eggs. And then you threw them down the mountain or the hill. And you would do it, and they would break open. And then you'd get whatever was in the egg, like uh, Smarties over here, M&M's. Um, things you know, there was you know sweets and candy on the inside of the of these big, you know Easter eggs we would buy, and you'd go down the right. hill and, and gather it. Do do you know what I'm talking about? And was it Beacon Hill or, I it was something like that Beacon Point or, and I was wondering if it was the national park we were in.
1: I'm I'm just trying to think. The only I, I know I a Beacon Hill um, is in um, in East Anglia. But there's also places in Northumberland called Beacon Hill. But, you see, Beacon Hill will, will be quite a common name because
2: mm. years ago mm.
1: there would have been communication via beacons, which is a light that you sit on top of a pool, or it could just be a bonfire on a hill. So,
2: mm-hmm. therefore,
1: Beacon Hill would be a hill where they could light a fire to send a a message you know we're being invaded so you know we'll light Mm. the fire so so you know beacon hill could could be a lot of places i mean this is um, what they did before
2: lighthouses
1: yeah well yeah they used to have um have lights on on hills near the coast Mm
2: -hmm. you know because
1: that was that was what a lighthouse replaced it's just a you know a beacon which is, I mean, we've we've we had a, a load of beacons that were put up in the year 2000, I think it was, um, and they were put up all over the country. And you know, like a, a telephone pole, just a, a long pole of wood, and if mm-hmm. you can imagine a fire basket on the top of this telegraph pole, that is what we had put up in, uh, all over the country, and the Queen lit one of these beacons in London, and then the next one along who could see the one in London lit their beacon and then that went round like that. So then cool. there were all these beacons all over the country. And there's one of them not far from us in a little village. Um it's just just like a fire basket on top of a telegraph pole. But that's, that's cool. what beacons wow. were for and they they did used to send messages, you know, and you know, warnings and things like that.
0: How oh, interesting you know when Yeah, this is I I I'm I'm in It's going to be, because we were were living in the north at that point. We were living in
2: Manchester, were area.
0: Yeah, you know, don't say anything negative.
1: (laughs) (laughs) There's one in Leicestershire, which is a a country park, but there's there's going to be lots and lots of places called Beacon Hill, Mm. loads of places.
0: You know, over here, when we were in central California, because it's not far from the coast, you know, we had the lighthouses, right. and um, you know, we had nuclear test sites out in the Bay Area, Golden Gate Park has yep. them. Um, all of these nuclear sites, but we went inland, and we were actually on a farm in Visalia, California. And you, they take people on farm tours, and it's all citrus, oranges, and mandarins, and everything. And part of the tours, you get to see this watchtower, where back in World War II. Mm-hmm. The farms in central California set up watchtowers uh, for what was going on, and so they could watch out to the coast. But then if you think, you know, go over the Sierras, then you had the internment camps as well. And that's yeah, not yeah, such yeah. a nice piece of our history. Um, and we're creating more nice history, aren't we? Um, but anyway, they, um, they, I didn't say that. Oh, I'm, I'm just, you know, I didn't say anything. I know you'll get disconnected, Glenn. That's probably what happened this morning. I don't know, but, but they, they, they had these watchtowers, and I was like, "What's a watchtower doing in the middle of an, an orange grove?" But that, that's what happened. All up through Central mm-hmm. California, you'll find them, these watchtowers. That, they were that looking we have.
2: for the Red Baron. Really?
0: Mm-hmm. Now he serves pizza. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that's
2: what Anyway. Here.
0: But uh, let's get back to these ladies. So Beatrix Potter, I mean, you can go there's that, that place. Um, there's he, she has like a museum in a park where I remember seeing all the little bunnies and, and things like that, and you could see fox. In that yeah, her, park. Mm-hmm. her
1: house is um is, is open to the public. But you know when when she died, she left so much land and hmm. all these farms that she had bought. She left them all to the to the National Trust. And, and then,
2: um, sorry, go ahead.
1: That actually forms the basis of of what is the lake district you know i mean we we go to the lake district and you know I, I was speaking about it last time and you know i'll send you more information about the national parks but you know the the lake district is was one of the first ones and it was really Be- Beatrix parr you know it was it was mm. down to her that so many of these farms had been bought as farms um and she bought them to to save them from sort of becoming housing estates and things like that you know and and it's thanks to her that we've got the Lake District as it is today, which is
0: amazing. She wow, she rocks. The the other thing too, you you were saying in your article, and everyone, this article will be up on Blend Radio and TV dot com in a few days, and it'll be in the spring issue of Big Blend Radio and TV magazine. In your article about these ladies, you put in about the Bronte sisters that their house is also open to the public, so you can go see where they live. Yes, lived.
2: it is.
1: Yep. Where? Yeah, where they they lived in in the vicarage next to the church, and that is. Uh, in a little village in Yorkshire called Haworth, and that uh, that again is open to the public, and a lot of it is is set up as it was in the 1830s and 40s, you know. So it's a, a typical wow. sort of Georgian early Victorian house, and uh, you know it's a, a, another you know just a beautiful place to to visit, and you can see where you know Jane Eyre, Wuthering Heights, was was written, you know. All of these
2: that's all of these
1: books that are So well known nationally, internationally, they're so well known. You know, like Black Beauty, like Wuthering Heights, you know, and you know the the title of Mrs. Tiggy Winkle. You know, them sort of books are they're they're internationally known. But to actually Mm -hmm. be able to go and see where they were written, and to sort of Mm -hmm. learn more about the people who wrote them, is is fascinating. It really is.
0: You like I like to see where writers did their work where their typewriters mm-hmm. were you know and there's a there's a i know that it's easier not to use a typewriter now and most writers really do not want to go back to that but I s there's a romantic thing about the old typewriter and you know looking out of a window and having like a nice place to write and having a fireplace and then having yes. a little trolley thing with whiskey but anyway <laughs> <laughs> okay well, you know, you need a little, you know, little snifter here or sherry, sherry. sherry. The ladies it's would have had sherry. That, that's what they would add, probably old brown sherry. Uh, no, 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 no. <laughs> um, but, but you know, when you, you can go to their houses, which I think is amazing. But I want to touch on something with Anna Sewell. In your article, you sent us some photos, and you have a photo of her handwriting. So, uh, for those who missed it a, a couple years back, you were talking about this on a show. Tell everybody yes. about that handwriting of hers.
1: Yeah, I, w- I was I was quite lucky. Well, I say lucky. I think I was very diligent. Um, I saw on a on a website that sells things the fact that there was some some letters for sale, and it mentioned Philip Sewell, and mm. I happen to know because I I know these things that Anna Sewell's brother was called Philip, so I bid for these le- uh, these letters and documents, and and I actually got them off this website. And some of them were actually written by Anna Sewell, and um, some of mm-hmm. them were, you know, were written by Philip, obviously her brother, and her, some of them by her mother and by her father. And they they wow. make fascinating insight into into the life of of the Sewell family. Um, you know, Philip Sewell, her brother, actually went to Spain to work. He was an engineer, you know, and he went he went to Spain. In fact, Anna Sewell went to Spain with her mum. You know, and they they spent time. In Spain because they thought that that might help Anna get better. So you know the warm, the warm um, weather mm. is better for you than being in England in the sort of November to February period when it's pretty cold and pretty damp.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So obviously they they went over to Spain, again, which mm. proves how affluent they were because <laughs> normal people like my ancestors wouldn't have even gone to London, let alone Spain. You know. Probably most of my ancestors hadn't even been to Norwich, which is the local city. <laughs> they they didn't travel oh, wow. far. But, you know, these, yeah, uh, huh. the fact that Anna w- was able to go over and visit her brother in, in Spain was quite amazing. But, yeah, these, these letters are are fascinating. And to actually think, again, you know, that this was written by the lady who wrote Black Beauty, to me, is just totally amazing. It's lovely to hold, hold the thing in my hand and think, Anna Sue will wow. actually... Held this in her hand and wrote on it. It's lovely. That's awesome.
0: And she did so a lot for the poor also. and for animals, not just writing from did. the horse's point oh, of she view, did. but she actually did a lot of other work too.
1: She she did a lot. I mean, she was sort of one of the, the the people who founded the the RSPCA in a way because she really really pushed for the fact um, for them not to use a, a particular bit on the horses um, mm-hmm. and it was it was thanks to her that the rspca sort of became um a bigger organisation much better known and it was really you know again thanks to her that these things grew uh, again she died in in her early 50s which is which is quite sad you know again another another well she's 57 you know so she's not in her early 50s but again she's a young woman really but again, mm. the, the the strange thing about again all these ladies, none of them none of them had a family. None, the Bronte mm. sisters, they they didn't have That's any right. children. Beatrix Potter oh. never had any children. Anna Sewell no. never had any children. You know they wow. they, um,
0: they they
1: just. I wonder, uh, I
2: wonder if
0: their characters became of lived kind of their, their babies. Their animals, I think. Yeah, the the animals,
2: or we understand that. Maybe, I mean, maybe they felt that their children would you know, end up being lonely. Yeah. It's, I, was there a thing, was it, okay, so these, these women all came from affluent families, not being able to mix with other children, was it because they were affluent and the rest of the kids around them in the neighborhood would have not been affluent so you don't mix, or was it just there was no one around?
1: Um, well, a lot of them especially the, the sort of the uh, well-off affluent families would have a governess so mm. the, they weren't um, sort of looked, as, God looked cool? on as, as well exactly but they weren't also looked on as very sensible for them to be playing around with the the dirty little children in the in the village so the only children wow. that they would mix with if they did mix with any would be their their relations um, oh, yeah. But again, a lot of these didn't didn't have relations that lived nearby, or they travelled around, so they didn't actually have time to build up relationships.
0: But do you know, you know mm-hmm. the, I think the Bronte all of that sisters you
1: had they, had themselves. You know, there, yeah. was, there you were there do... were the three sisters and and their brother, and mm-hmm. being the vicar's children, again,
0: yeah,
1: I wouldn't have thought that they would have mixed very much with the you know the the children in the village. Mm-hmm. 'Cause again, you know, there wasn't a village school anyway, so any children of say ten or eleven would be going out to work. So mm. you don't wow. you don't really want your nice your nice little children in lovely white dresses to be playing with some dirty little urchin,
2: do you?
0: You know, I haven't heard that term for such a long time, <laughs> urchin. That is that's you know I remember <laughs> but that you
2: could go play with the clean Yeah, yeah.
0: But you know, but there's there is something about <laughs> Everyone has some kind of circumstance in life, no matter if you're affluent or not, and whether you're an urchin or not, <laughs> or a dirty one. And your circumstances are what defines you ultimately. If you take that that part, that circumstance, whatever it is, and if you work with it, sometimes the hardest things in life are what makes you the most successful in life. You know, if you yes. look at it the positive way. I mean, it's it's well, you know they Anna always Frank. say that yeah 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 look at her i mean it's like there's the negative stuff is there the dark there you were talking about the violet flower earlier mm-hmm. nancy and how that's that light yes in the midst of the dark of the woods so you have to have yes. that balance and that's something to remember and everything that's going on in the world that there's always light there's always light exactly and things can happen anywhere look at flowers that you see you know growing in the middle of a highway you're like how are you growing through that tarmac or asphalt whatever Mm -hmm. you want to
2: call it how do you do that i mean you'll see a flower just grow right through right out of the rocks rocks, like in pinnacles national yeah there's cactus and and aloes and different kinds of flowers growing right out of a cliff i know it's amazing it's It's absolutely amazing like how did you do
0: that i know (laughs) so that's exciting you know life is good so so glenn speaking of you know hey the good stuff what are you toasting today
1: what am I toasting? Well, we've, 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 just, we've just said um, there's another lady who, who wrote a fantastic book, who had one of the most horrific lives, lives that anyone can possibly imagine. Um, and I think I would like to toast Anna Frank because, you mm. know, she really had the most horrendous end to her life. And actually, several years of her life was horrendous, and she never appears to have gone down that poor me, pity, self-pity mm-hmm. stuff. And she yeah. she seems as if she really supported her sister. You know, some of the things that that you read in her book, and some of the things that I've heard about her in, in you know in on the te- television, on websites, in, in books, and different things. It just amazes me that someone so young can be could be so amazing, and so positive. And mm. you know, if she could get through it, you know, any, anyone can get through stuff. You know, so I agree. I'd like to toast Anna Frank.
2: Perfect, she's very brave.
0: I I toast to her too, and and she's inspiring. She really is, and such mm. a young young girl too. And and talk about being in the dark too. Mm. You know, you know, just yeah. being locked away like that, and, and, well, it saved her, but, you know, kind, kind of, but... um. And if anyone
1: hasn't already read her story, because there will be people who have never heard of her, I suggest that they look and read
2: mm. more mm. about
1: her. Um, because Absolutely. she was amazing. I remember um, the first I heard about it was on, I don't know if you, when you was in England, whether you used to watch um, Blue Peter. It's a children's program, and mm. they... They actually had her father, I think his name was Otto. Um, he actually came to the studio and was talking about her and After the war, it was basically his life 's work just to get her her book published and to let everybody know what went on and
2: Wow, that is you cool. know that
1: that stirred me so much, and i can 't have been much more than ten or twelve, I suppose. And that that made me think so much of that time and and that's still mm-hmm. with me, you know the fact that this man lost his entire family and mm-hmm. spent the rest of his life making sure that his daughter's story got published and and put out there, which you know is is just amazing, really is the whole family amazing
0: you know that's she inspired me like to always keep a journal and write things, and I've you know. Yeah. Through the years, even moving countries, it's like, here comes the box of Wiese's half-started diaries that I never finished, never. And then it would be, every page would be, Dear diary, I promise I'm going to write in you every single day. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I have, I have boxes. i you know, that's a, a box of of them. It's, it's terrible. But she inspired me to, to, to document try. things, and I, and look now we do magazines. That's kind of where it morphed into. But she inspired me yeah. in regards to realizing the importance of documentation and writing things down, yes. and what may seem mundane now uh twenty hundred years later may not be mundane. And so that there's every no. there's not there's no such thing as mundane. You know, it just may no. not be that point in time where you think it's interesting. So she taught me that that um it, things need to be documented and you know, it's all part of education and that circle of education again. So
2: which we all well, share because exactly, everyday
1: everyday life today is gonna be history tomorrow.
2: hmm So that's you right. have
1: to keep it you have to keep the record of it.
0: You do, you do, and that's what you do so well And you get people to, you know, come over to England And you take them around to see where their family is And um, I can't wait, Glenn, because we're covering Springfield, Kentucky now And I was going nuts when we had an interview coming up, everyone With uh, Stephanie McNillan. she's been on our show a number of times Uh, In fact, Glenn, you Mm -hmm. may have actually talked to her years ago on a show Uh, She's done some co-hosting with us when she lived in Yuma, Arizona And um, we've known her for many years, and so we're digging this up. So her Lincoln's family was; um, his parents were married in Springfield, Kentucky. Um, so you can also see the cabin where you know his family lived, and then you can go to his actual birthplace, which is a national park unit just down the road. I mean, and then they have a whole Lincoln Heritage Trail that you can take in central Kentucky, along with following the Bourbon Trail. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> she we're gonna we're gonna set up. There's a whole museum dedicated to the Lincoln family there, and they have the actual right. um, birth uh, marriage certificate of, of Lincoln's family uh, parents. So we're gonna set up something special with you between the historians in Springfield and you over in Norfolk, since it all leads back to Norfolk, doesn't it? <laughs>
1: It it does indeed. Yes, just a little village about three miles. In fact, I I was there today, um, where Abraham Lincoln's ancestors came from. Because, funnily enough, my son is getting married in November, and he's actually having his wedding reception in the village where Abraham Lincoln's family came from. Um, Not that he cares much about Abraham Lincoln, but.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, we do. (laughs) We do exactly. But that's 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 where he's having his
0: wedding reception. Yeah. Well, we're going to have to do something towards his wedding then. <laughs> Let's mm-hmm. get him involved. We'll, <laughs> we'll get Stephanie to send him some Kentucky bourbon. <laughs> yeah, it will be, um, be all right. Yeah. Glenn, thank you so much for joining us. As always, it's such a pleasure chatting with you, and he, we always learn something. So thank you so much.
1: Yeah, well, thanks for putting up with me, and I'm sorry I was a bit late getting
0: through. And no, no, you're, no you problem. came in right on time, actually, at the end of it. So everyone... Um, Go to norfolk-tours.co.uk. Then you'll see all the different tours that Glenn does. He custom makes them according to what you want to see, what kind of history you want to dig up, because there's all kinds of family history that we're connected with over in England. Uh, But also go to blendradioandtv.com. Look in our expert department. You'll see Glenn there and a list to all of his different articles in the magazines and various interviews as well. Thanks, Glenn. You take care, and we'll talk soon. Yeah, lovely to speak to you. Bye. Bye. (laughs) Bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>